going to continue on in our Proverbs series. Uh, this is our sixth week um, in Proverbs, and um, if you've missed any of our, our series so far, you can check out our podcast. You can find links to those sermons on our website as well. But last week, uh, we talked about pride, and uh, we went over Proverbs 11, verse 2. And so we always challenge ourselves to try to memorize this, and I'm just going to read it for us once, um, and then I want us to try to say it together, okay? When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So let's try to say that together. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. We need to hide those things in our heart. We need those reminders. And Proverbs is full of powerful reminders of how we're to live our lives. Well, uh, this is, like I said, this is our sixth week in Proverbs. And today, our topic is going to be integrity, which um, really the fullness of Proverbs is also about, is how to live a life of integrity, is really a life of wisdom. Making wise decisions is making uh, decisions towards integrity. And so uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen here. We have just um, a few verses uh, from Proverbs, and uh, we're going to read. I'm just going to read those out, and you guys can try to follow along. Oh, man, what's going on here? Give me a second. Hold on. Pause. Okay. Unpause. All right. <laughs> okay. So let's read. I'm just going to read this out. Okay. Starting with Proverbs 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So, Proverbs is really great at (laughs) scaring us. Right? And it should. This is really important things. This is heavy. This is vital for who we are. These, these warnings aren't God just trying to shame us into submission. Right? This is a guide to how to have a good life. If you want to avoid pain and suffering and difficulty in your life, then being a person of integrity will help you avoid a lot of that. And Proverbs is putting that very, very clearly for us. So to begin, I just want to talk through some definitions of integrity for us, you know. Um, There's the personal definition of integrity, which is essentially just like making sure that what's going on inside is what everybody sees on the outside, right? That's a very simple definition, but it's one that I go back to a lot. But also, um, there's this idea of like a building that has integrity or a bridge Right? It's of sound construction. It's something that you can trust. It's something that you can put your trust and your faith in to go over or be a part of or to have as a foundation. Right? You want to live in a house that has integrity to its structure. Right? 
in Red Rock, right? We want a house that has some integrity, uh, considering many houses maybe don't, right? And so when you find a good one, it's like, okay, thank you, Jesus, that this is a house with integrity, you know? Uh, no settling issues, right? But, um, you know, integrity is also uh, just the idea of being, being the same behind closed doors as you are out in the open, right? It's that, it's that idea. It's being in fullness who you say you are trying to be is maybe another way to talk about it. It's also the ability to be trusted comes from integrity. The ability to be trusted is because you're a person of integrity. But integrity can also be a little subjective, I think, in our world. And so you think of like um, a person's integrity can be tied to their work, maybe, or their ideologies. It can be tied to their friends and family. And it can get really muddy very quickly in our culture. So, you know, a person can have integrity in their business, but maybe that integrity is solely based on what's good for business. Right? And then, so then that, that person is only only has as much integrity as the business model allows. And on an extreme end of this, we, ha- we look at like maybe a-, a captured criminal, right, who-, who refuses to divulge information even though it would help him out, right? Like he would think that he's a person of integrity for doing that, right? But everybody on the outside would think differently. So can we see how muddy that idea can be, that we can tell ourselves that we are a person of integrity, but based on what rules, but based on what foundation? And we have to really ask ourselves what foundation we're wanting to live in. And of course, Proverbs' definition of this is rooted in, as everything else is, the fear of the Lord, which means that it's, it's rooted in his version of integrity, of course. And so we can only measure ourselves as a person of integrity based off what God says a person of integrity looks like. I think my first, uh, my first uh, real-world example of seeing someone live in integrity was um, my former youth leaders in, uh, when I grew up in North Dakota. And she would drive us around um, and... Uh, one day we were, there's this place in the town I, I grew up in. Um, it was a street right by a library, and suddenly the speed limit changes from like 25 to like 15. Um, but if you like blink, you'll miss it. And it's like, it's everybody always missed it, but there was always a police officer that would sit right there. And so she was in the van with us, like van full of youth kids, and she drives and she gets pulled over with all of us in it, in the van. And um, she lost it. Like, she was bawling her eyes out. And we were like, like, we didn't care. Like, you know, it wasn't like, like, why? We were just fine. Like, you know, we didn't think anything of that in that moment. And, and she explained to us that she strives to be a woman of integrity. And she strives to be a person of integrity. And she failed us. And I never forgot that moment. Never, ever forgot that moment that she took it that seriously. Because none of us even cared. None of us would have even batted an eye. We probably wouldn't have even said anything to anybody. Because it's just life. When you're a kid and you're a passenger, you don't even pay attention most of the time. Like, what's going on? But I'll never forget that moment and the weight that she held 
in keeping her integrity. You know, last week we spoke about pride and humility, and that humility is seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And pride is, of course, seeing yourself any other way. So I think integrity is really just doing our best to live up to how God sees us. I think, (laughs) I think integrity is really just doing our best to live up to how God sees us. So integrity should be a natural byproduct of the humility that we're talking about, that we've been talking about for a while here, right? So humility and integrity, um, humility and the integrity that it grants us results in us having security in our decision-making, as this verse talks about. It makes the path ahead of us much more clear as to what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And on the other hand, pride often results in taking intended and sometimes unintended shortcuts and crooked paths to our desired outcome, which again is what this verse is unpacking for us. And so I think it's important that we see that humility and integrity go hand in hand. Humility and integrity go hand in hand. And humility is the choice to see ourselves the way God sees us. And integrity is the choice to act in a way that honors God. So in order to know how to honor God, then we must chase after God's heart. And that's kind of what I want us to really unpack this morning, is the fact that integrity really equals chasing after God's heart. That's what integrity really is for us, is the pursuit of what makes God tick. The pursuit of what he loves. The pursuit, the pursuit of God's heart. So how do we do this? How do we chase after God's heart? Well, the first step to this, I believe, is that we have to seek to know God's heart. We have to seek to know God's heart. And I want to talk a little bit about and do a little bit of a character study this morning on King David, who is such an example to us of of how integrity in the real world works, I think. So the first and last things said about David was that he was a man after God's own heart. The very first thing in Scripture, when God is saying, I have somebody in mind to replace Saul, and he is a man after God's own heart, doesn't even say it to David yet. It's just God is revealing that he has somebody in store. And the very last thing in the book of Acts that talks about David, that descriptor is still used then, that he's a man after God's own heart. And and we see this pursuit in David, chasing after God's heart. The 75 Psalms that David wrote are absolutely packed. That's the air conditioning, so it is what it is. The 75 psalms that David wrote are absolutely packed with statements about how God operates, with statements about David seeking God's heart and who God is and just making these declarations about who God is. It's David's pursuit of the heart of God. What does God love? What does he hate? Right? What burdens God and what brings God joy? And I think David asked these kinds of questions, and he set out to answer them as well. And we have to do the same. If we want to know God's heart, then individually, we have got to chase after and pursue, God, what do you love? And what do you hate? 
because I want to love whatever you love and I want to hate whatever you hate. What burdens you got about this life, about this world, about us? What burdens you got? Because I want those burdens. I want to take those burdens on. What brings you joy? What brings a smile to your face, God? Because I want to smile with you. I want to live in the same joy for the same reasons that you do. We have got to ask those same kinds of questions. You know, in my life, I think I've operated a lot more on assumptions about what God wants than the facts. I've operated for way too long on way too many assumptions about what God wants for me and what God wants for others. I've put a lot of words in God's mouth about myself, about what he has for me, about how he sees others. I've put way too many words in God's mouth that he never, ever once uttered or would utter. He never said those things, but I owned them as if he did. I've assumed things like I have to be perfect before I can go to him. I lived for a really long time, decades of my life, thinking I have to get my own life in order by my own power, by my own ability, right, before I can possibly serve him, before I can possibly do what he's asked me to do, before I can even think about being in his presence. Then I need to make sure that I, on my own power, have overcome (laughs) all these things in myself. But God has never said that. I've assumed that perfection is really the only thing he wants from me. And I have hated myself over my lack of discipline when it comes to reading the Bible every day or praying every day or, or you know, that sort of thing or not sharing Jesus enough. I spent decades of my life loathing myself because I just couldn't, I felt like I just couldn't get it together. You know, I could have a good stretch where, yeah, okay, I'm committing to reading my Bible every day, and I'd go a couple weeks or even a couple months sometimes, right? But then it'd always get derailed by something, and then I'd go way too long without reading or something, and i just feel like I felt, I treated my relationship with God like I was climbing a ladder, and then I'd fall off the ladder, and I'd have to start from the bottom rung again. And that in no way (laughs) is how it works. But that was the assumptions that I made about God's heart Toward me, I assumed that my sin negated his love for me and that my sin was something that made him turn from me. And in doing that, I placed my heart for myself on God. I placed my heart for myself on God. And I know that grieved him deeply. I know that that grieved him so deeply because I wasn't seeking God's heart, was I? I was still just seeking my own. I was just seeking my own. And my heart is corrupt. (laughs) It's broken. It's deceitful above all things. My heart cannot be trusted. What's in my heart and the feelings that I have on a day-to-day basis cannot be trusted. See, integrity and trust go hand in hand. 
So if I'm trying to live a life of integrity based off of what my heart says, then I'm not going to be able to live a life of integrity because my heart can't be trusted. Only God's heart can be trusted. Only the God in me can be trusted. Only the Holy Spirit dwelling in me in fullness. And when I said, God, I surrender all things to you, what I was also surrendering was my heart, that I'm not going to own what my heart tells me about this world, about myself, about this life. I'm going to trade my heart willingly for your heart for me, for your heart for the world around me. And what a trade. What a trade, amen? To be able to give up on all of the selfish, broken nonsense that this heart has produced, to be able to surrender that fully and say, I'm done with that nonsense. Create in me a clean heart, God. And he's so good to do that for us. He's so good to do that. You know, we will only be able to have true integrity when we stop following after our heart and start following after God's. And this requires, again, the trading of our heart. We've got to trade in what it wants for, what, for God's heart and what he wants. We've got to trade our heart and what it wants for God's heart and what he wants. Amen? You tracking with me here? This is really vital information for us as believers. Absolutely vital. If we want to be people of integrity, then it requires our being trustworthy. And the only trustworthy source in this vast universe is the heart of our trustworthy God. It's the only place we'll find it. So we seek to know God's heart with all things. We ask those questions again. God, what do you love and what do you hate? What are you burdened by? What gives you joy? We ask those questions in a pursuit of what makes God tick. Because I want to get in rhythm with God's heart. I want my life in perfect step with God's heart. Don't you? Do you want that as well? Okay. Step two. We have got to repent when we seek anything else. We have to be quick to repent when we seek anything else. So we look back to David again, right? And he, we know that he was called a man after God's own heart. Was David perfect? Was David perfect? No, not at all. Did he go down some crooked paths? The crooked paths that Proverbs is warning us about, right? Did he go down those crooked paths? Absolutely. And those crooked paths found him out. His sin found him out, and it was brought into the daylight. You know, we think of, of course, like the famous story of David and Bathsheba, and, and David seeing Bathsheba and calling, him, call, calling her over, and, and he sleeps with her, and then she's pregnant, and Uriah the Hittite, her husband, comes home from war, fighting for his king, Right? And, and David tries to convince him to go home and, and uh, spend time with his wife so hopefully that the pregnancy can be covered up somehow. Well, Uriah's integrity keeps him from doing that. And he says, no, I'm not going to abandon 
the, my fellow soldiers, when they don't get to go home, they don't get to be in the presence of their family, so I'm not going to do that either. So his integrity keeps him out of that situation. His integrity kept him from participating in this lie that David was trying to cover up. And so David has to go to extreme lengths, and he has Uriah murdered. But it's not just Uriah who gets murdered in that moment. On the front line, it's a whole grouping of his men that got abandoned on the front lines. They pushed up to the front lines in a battle, and the whole rest of the army pulls back, and Uriah and his fellow soldiers all fall. So already in that one decision, it's not just Uriah who's murdered. It's how many other innocent bystanders to this situation that were just serving the king. They are murdered as well. And then, of course, we know, like, David's son with Bathsheba dies as a consequence to this sin. And so right there, we can guess maybe a dozen people have already died because of David's lack of integrity. But then we move forward in David's story, and there's this moment where he where he's, he, he lacks trust in what God is asking him to do, and so he takes this census, and God tells him, okay, well, there's a, there's a penalty for going against what I say. And David has to choose which penalty it's going to be, and that sin results in 70,000 people dying. So 70,000 and 12 people, at least, are dead because of a man after God's own heart. How does this work? How is it possible that we can still call David a man after God's own heart? In the midst, in the midst of all this, the prophet Nathan comes to David and exposes his sin. And we have this beautiful Psalm 51 that David writes. And why can we call David a man after God's own heart? Because when he steps out of his integrity and when he steps into sin, he chooses repentance for the way out. There's still consequences to our lack of integrity. But that doesn't mean that God pulls himself from us. That doesn't mean that God pulls how he sees us away. And I just want to read this beautiful Psalm 51 to us this morning. So again, this is David's repentant prayer crying out to God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, sight, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me out from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to you. God, will not despise. I love, I love this prayer as a beautiful example of what it actually is to repent. It's full ownership. He's not blaming anybody else. He's taking full ownership for his actions and he's seeking God with everything he has to be restored. And God is so good to do that for him. And my favorite section, of course, is the famous section of uh, 10 through 12. But I love the addition of 13 where essentially David is saying, right, God created me a pure heart and renew that dedication in me to purity. You have every right to cast me out of your presence, but restore the fullness of your salvation in my life, Father. Then when you've done these things, I will dedicate myself to helping others do the same. I think we miss that. We miss that far too often. And even in that, in that passage, we're very quick to say, create, grant me a heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit from me, and then go on to restore to me the joy of our salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. But then we usually stop there in our nice posters, in our pictures on the wall. But we forget this next line that says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. It's a story. It's a story that David is willing to tell. And at Village Church, again, we call ourselves storytellers. We exist to share our stories with Christ so that others can have their own stories with him. And people need stories of redemption. Not just, I've served God and it's been good and everything's fine and easy in my life. People need real life stories. People need these kind of stories from David that even in the depths of despair, and living in the destruction that we have caused, and being faced with bloodshed on our hands even, we can still go to him. We can still repent, and we can say, God, I will use this for your kingdom. I will use this to bring others back to you. And that's how David maintained this mantle of being a man after God's own heart. Not only am I going to learn from this, God, not only am I, going to, am I going to turn from this, but I'm going to help others do the same. That's how we maintain that heart. 
So we have to be quick to repent of the times when our integrity slips, but we also must end, we also uh, maintain that integrity best when we help others find it. As always, it's always that theme. You're going to hear that every single Sunday from whatever topic we're talking about. If you want it, own it yourself and help others find it as well. That's how it works. That's how it works. So our last step here is that we have to also allow God's heart to become our heart. So we seek his heart with everything we have. We repent when we seek anything else in our lives. But then we allow God's heart to become our heart. Right? And we look at David's legacy now. Um, is not that he was a sinner. His legacy is being a man of God. That is how he's remembered. This great King David a man after God's own heart, a man of God. And that phrase, a man of God, has been pivotal in my life. And it's really only been something that I've been able to own, uh, you know, starting a little maybe over five years ago, I think, at this point. And it started for me in a coffee shop in Tucson. And I was sitting across from uh, my pastor, who, uh, Pastor Dave Dahlberg. And uh, I've shared this story before, but uh, we were at Starbucks, and it was a busy time of day in Starbucks, and there was a large line. We were, like, at a table, and the line was literally right here with people, and uh, Dave just asked me a question, and he says, Cody, are you a man of God? And I, I just looked at him, and I'm like, I mean, I, I want to be. I hope so. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that. You know why I couldn't answer that? Because I was seeing it through my heart. And I was still placing my heart in place of God's. And so that question seemed impossible for me because a man of God meant a perfect man. And so when he asked me that question, I just said, I, I don't know. And he said, I want you to say you're a man of God. And I was like, oh boy, Dave, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen right now. Like that's... I really appreciate that that's what you want to happen. And boy, that's great. And that sounds really neat, but that's not going to happen right now. And so I'm going to need some time with this one, you know. And he reached his hand across the table, and he put his hand on my head. And he said, Cody, are you a man of God? Say it. Say it right now. There's, there's people. I'm here, hand on my head, and there's people waiting like wondering, like, what is happening here? This is, okay, it's way too early for this kind of thing to be going on in a Starbucks, you know? And so I'm just sitting here, his, he's got a large hand, and it's on my head squarely, and he's not going to let me leave that place. And I wanted to. There was, I was like this close to totally bailing, to getting up, walking out, and getting in my car and driving away and never talking to him again. Like, literally, that was, that was so close in me. But I was, I... I struggled to even say it, though. And so I'm finally, like, getting it out of me, and I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm a man of God. Like, you know, like, that's like, and I'm still not trying to be weird with all the people around me. I'm an introvert, and I'm, like, not trying to call attention to Cody here in this, this moment, you know. But, like, you know, he's like, say it. I'm like, I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm a man of God. And he had me keep saying it until I was, like, literally shouting, I'm sure, in that moment, like, I am a man of God. I'm a man of God. I am a man of God. I am a man of God. I am a man of God. 
I am a man of God. I am a man of God. That is who I am. That is who he's made me to be. I am God's man. He is with me. He is for me. I am with him and I am for him. I'm not perfect and I need him every day of my life. But my pursuit of his heart is what makes me a man of God. My pursuit of his desires for me, of his plan for me, is what makes me a man of God. So I can stand here today <laughs> being able to say, Cody Brent is a man of God, which is a radical thing for me. Still, even saying that, that was those words, it's still crazy because I spent so long terrified of facing that because I thought the answer was no. I didn't feel, <laughs> I didn't feel like a man of God, but I was genuinely chasing after his heart and being a person after God's heart means that you are on a journey, not that you've arrived at a destination. And I thought the destination was that I was a man of God. But simply being on the journey and genuinely seeking him, genuinely wanting what he wants for you and being open to the moments where he calls you into correction and, and asks you to surrender and maybe wrestles you down to the ground at times, right? Even in those moments... Even in those moments, that is a man of God. Do I know in fullness everything that he wants for me yet? No, <laughs> I don't. But I know today so much more than I did a week ago even, a month ago, a year ago. I know so much more of who I am in Christ today than I ever have. And I know that next week, my desire is that I'll know even more. And next year, I'll be a totally different person even more and more and more and more and more because God has more and more and more and more and more. And as long as my heart pursues him, then he will welcome. He will welcome the change and he will welcome me in. He will welcome and he will pour out in fullness what he wants for me and when he wants it. You know, we replace our hearts with his by trading one desire at a time. And to live in integrity is, is really to live in pursuit of that exchange. Exchanging one desire at a time. One of our desires for one of his. And we never have to, in, have to question what the integrity move is in a hard decision if we're doing that because we simply ask, God, what is your heart in this situation? What is your desire for this situation? And the pursuit of integrity that, that this passage, this, this verse, Psalm, or uh, sorry, Proverbs 10.9 is telling us, right, is that the pursuit of integrity helps us live on straight paths, the paths that God lays out for us. And so when we're wondering in a moment, what is the integrity decision? The answer is always, what is the God way? What is his heart for the situation? What does he want me to do? That, asking that question will always keep us on the path of integrity. So I have a couple questions for us.
In the first one, I, I really genuinely want you to reflect on this for a moment. When I ask it, it's a simple question, it's a yes or no answer, but I don't want you to jump into the answer until you give it a moment. Do you want what God wants for you, truly? Answer that for yourself. I'm not asking if you've already arrived there. I'm just asking if your heart is willing. Do you want what God wants for you? Yes or no? And based on your answer to that question, are you a man or a woman of God? Yes or no? I'm not asking this to shame anybody. I'm not asking this for anything other than we have to go through these to discover what we truly, what's in our heart. Sometimes we don't ask these questions and we make assumptions about our heart. But I'm telling you today that if you can answer yes, that you genuinely want what God wants for you, I'm not saying that you're perfect and that you're, you've figured it all out yet, but if you can say yes, that I want what God wants for me above anything else in this life, above anything else, I just want what God wants for me then I want to encourage you that you can answer yes to that second question. If you want in fullness what God wants for you, then you are a man or a woman of God. And if you answer no to that first question that you don't, then I would plead with you to discover what are you hanging on to so desperately in place of what God wants? What are you unwilling to let go of in your own life? Only you can answer that question in this moment. Only you can make a decision to want what God wants for you or not. But whether you are a man or a woman of God is not up to you. It's up to that first question. So in this moment, maybe you're realizing that your first answer was no, or even a maybe. And maybe your answer is, I, I want that, but I'm not sure even what that means. And I just want to encourage you that it's just a surrender moment. It's just a surrender moment right here, right now. If I'm going to ask, do you want what God wants for you, yes or no? You can change a no to a yes in this moment. You can change a no to a yes. It simply means that you are willing to let go of everything else and simply and only take hold of God's heart. And I'm going to ask you to be bold in this moment. When I ask, do you want what God wants for you? If your answer is yes, I want you to stand. So I'm going to ask that question again. Do you want what God wants for you today? 
Amen, guys. Amen. Man of God, woman of God, well done. And if you're still hanging on, it's okay. But get some help, okay? If you're still hanging on and you don't know how to answer that question, I just want to offer, I'm here, and I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. But let's, let's take a moment and let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer right now. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your heart for us. Thank you that you see us for who we are, who we truly are, not who we think we are. We thank you for your love and your patience and your goodness and your kindness. We thank you for your salvation in our lives. We thank you that you draw us to repentance in our lives. God, we ask that you would ignite in us a fire for you. That you would ignite in us a fervor and a passion for you. Help us to get out of our own way and to stop clinging to our own heart, to our own way of doing things, to our selfishness, to our brokenness. Father, help us to surrender those things to you, to willingly say, we surrender, we give up, and help us to cling to you in a way we've never even thought possible. God, we ask that you Reveal yourself in us more and more. Reveal your heart to us more and more. God, show us what you love. Show us what you hate. God, show us what burdens you and what gives you joy. Shape us and mold us so that our hearts would want the same things as yours, God. So that we might walk hand in hand so much. We're so grateful. In your name we pray.